free will and the sovereignty of God. These two subjects of much controversy are realities that seem to contradict one another. Do we really have free will? Or does God's sovereignty control everything and everyone, even against our will? And what role does prophecy have to play in these kind of circumstances? Does prophecy really help bring harmony and consistency to these ideas? If so, how? In the first half of this chapter from Patriarchs and Prophets, Joseph and his brothers, we see the fulfillment of the prophecy that God gave to Joseph so many years before he was sold into Egypt. We see God's mercy and grace working together with his providence and power to turn evil purposes and circumstances into something good and beautiful. Patriarchs and Prophets Chapter 21 Joseph and His Brothers Part 1 At the very opening of the fruitful years began the preparation for the approaching famine. Under the direction of Joseph, immense storehouses were erected in all the principal places throughout the land of Egypt, and ample arrangements were made for preserving the surplus of the expected harvest. The same policy was continued during the seven years of plenty, until the amount of grain laid in store was beyond computation. And now the seven years of dearth began to come, according to Joseph's prediction. And the dearth was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he says to you, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. The famine extended to the land of Canaan and was severely felt in that part of the country where Jacob dwelt. Hearing of the abundant provision, made by the king of Egypt. Ten of Jacob's sons journeyed there to purchase grain. On their arrival, they were directed to the king's deputy, and with other applicants they came to present themselves before the ruler of the land. And they bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. His Hebrew name had been exchanged for the one bestowed upon him by the king, and there was little resemblance between the prime minister of Egypt and the stripling whom they had sold to the Ishmaelites. As Joseph saw his brother stooping and making obeisance, his dreams came to his mind, and the scenes of the past rose vividly before him. His keen eye, surveying the group, discovered that Benjamin was not among them, had he also fallen a victim to the treacherous cruelty of those savage men? He determined to learn the truth. You are spies, he said sternly. To see the nakedness of the land, you are come. They answered, Nay, my lord, but to buy food are your servants come. 
We are all one man's sons. We are true men. Your servants are no spies. He wished to learn if they possessed the same haughty spirit as when he was with them, and also to draw from them some information in regard to their home. Yet he well knew how deceptive their statements might be. He repeated the charge, and they replied, Your servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. Professing to doubt the truthfulness of their story, and to still look upon them as spies, the governor declared that he would prove them by requiring them to remain in Egypt till one of their number should go and bring their youngest brother down. If they would not consent to this, they were to be treated as spies. But to such an arrangement the sons of Jacob could not agree, since the time required for carrying it out would cause their families to suffer for food, and who among them would undertake the journey alone, leaving his brothers in prison? How could he meet his father under such circumstances? It appeared probable that they were to be put to death or to be made slaves, and if Benjamin were brought, it might be only to share their fate. They decided to remain and suffer together, rather than bring additional sorrow upon their father by the loss of his only remaining son. They were accordingly cast into prison, where they remained three days. During the year since Joseph had been separated from his brothers, these sons of Jacob had changed in character. Envious, turbulent, deceptive, cruel, and revengeful they had been. But now, when tested by adversity, they were shown to be unselfish, true to one another, devoted to their father, and themselves middle-aged men subject to his authority. The three days in the Egyptian prison were days of bitter sorrow as the brothers reflected upon their past sins. Unless Benjamin could be produced, their conviction as spies appeared certain, and they had little hope of gaining their father's consent to Benjamin's absence. On the third day, Joseph caused the brothers to be brought before him. He dared not detain them longer. Already his father and the families with him might be suffering for food. This do, and live, he said, for I fear God. If you be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye, carry corn for the famine of your houses, but bring your youngest brother unto me. So shall your words be verified, and you shall not die. This proposition they agreed to accept, though expressing little hope that their father would let Benjamin return with them. Joseph had communicated with them through an interpreter, and, having no thought that the governor understood them, they conversed freely with one another in his presence. They accused themselves in regard to their treatment of Joseph. We are verily guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. Reuben, who had formed the plan for delivering him at Dothan, added, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and you would not hear? Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. Joseph, listening, could not control his emotions, and he went out and wept. 
On his return, he commanded that Simeon be browned before them and again committed to prison. And the cruel treatment of their brother, Simeon had been the instigator and chief actor, and it was for this reason that the choice fell upon him. Before permitting his brothers to depart, Joseph gave directions that they should be supplied with grain, and also that each man's money should be secretly placed in the mouth of his sack. Provender for the beasts on the homeward journey was also supplied. On the way, one of the company, opening his sack, was surprised to find his bag of silver. On his making known the fact to the others, they were alarmed and perplexed, and said one to another, What is this that God has done unto us? Should they regard it as a token of good from the Lord? Or had he suffered it to occur to punish them for their sins and plunge them still deeper in affliction? They acknowledged that God had seen their sins and that he was now punishing them. Jacob was anxiously awaiting the return of his sons. And on their arrival, the whole encampment gathered eagerly around them as they related to their father all that had occurred. Alarm and apprehension filled every heart. The conduct of the Egyptian governor seemed to imply some evil design, and their fears were confirmed. When, as they opened their sacks, the owner's money was found in each, in his distress, the aged father exclaimed, Me have you bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, and you will take Benjamin away? All these things are against me. Reuben answered, Slay my two sons. If I bring him not to you, deliver him into my hand, and I will bring him to you again. This rash speech did not relieve the mind of Jacob. His answer was, My son shall not go down with you. For his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If mischief befall him by the way in the which you go, then shall you bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. But the drought continued, and in process of time the supply of grain that had been brought from Egypt was nearly exhausted. The sons of Jacob well knew that it would be in vain to return to Egypt without Benjamin. They had little hope of changing their father's resolution, and they awaited the issue in silence. Deeper and deeper grew the shadow of approaching famine, and the anxious faces of all in the encampment, the old man, read their need. At last he said, Go again, buy us a little food. Judah answered, the man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, You shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said unto us, You shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. Seeing that his father's resolution began to waver, he added, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you, and also our little ones. And he offered to be surety for his brother, and to bear the blame forever if he failed to restore Benjamin to his father. 
Jacob could no longer withhold his consent, and he directed his sons to prepare for the journey. He bade them also take to the ruler a present of such things as the famine-wasted country afforded, a little balm, and a little honey, spices and myrrh, nuts and almonds, also a double quantity of money. Take also your brother, he said, and arise, go again unto the man. As his sons were about to depart on their doubtful journey, the aged father arose, and raising his hands to heaven, uttered the prayer, God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may send away your other brother, and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Again they journeyed to Egypt and presented themselves before Joseph, as his eye fell upon Benjamin, his own mother's son. He was deeply moved. He concealed his emotion, however, but ordered that they be taken to his house, and that preparation be made for them to dine with him. Upon being conducted to the governor's palace, the brothers were greatly alarmed, fearing that they were to be called to account for the money found in their sacks. They thought that it might have been intentionally placed there to furnish occasion for making them slaves. In their distress, they consulted with the steward of the house, relating to him the circumstances of their visit to Egypt, and in proof of their innocence informed him that they had brought back the money found in their sacks, also other money to buy food. And they added, We cannot tell who put our money in our sacks. The man replied, Peace be to you. Fear not. Your God, and the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Their anxiety was relieved, and when Simeon, who had been released from prison, joined them, they felt that God was indeed gracious unto them. When the governor again met them, they presented their gifts and humbly bowed themselves to him to the earth. Again, his dreams came to his mind, and after saluting his guests, he hastened to ask, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he yet alive? Your servant, our father, is in good health. He is yet alive, was the answer as they again made obeisance. Then his eye rested upon Benjamin, and he said, Is this your younger brother? Of whom you spoke unto me. God, be gracious unto you, my son. But overpowered by feelings of tenderness, he could say no more. He entered into his chamber and wept there. Having recovered his self-possession, he returned, and all proceeded to the feast. By the laws of caste, the Egyptians were forbidden to eat with people of any other nation. The sons of Jacob had therefore a table by themselves, while the governor, on account of his high rank, ate by himself, and the Egyptians also had separate tables. When all were seated, the brothers were surprised to see that they were arranged in exact order, according to their ages. Joseph sent messes unto them from before him, but Benjamin's was five times as much as any of theirs. By this token, a favor to Benjamin, he hoped to ascertain if the youngest brother was regarded with the envy and hatred that had been manifested toward himself. Still supposing that Joseph did not understand their language, the brothers freely conversed with one another. Thus, he had a good opportunity to learn their real feelings. Still, 
he desired to test them further, and before their departure, he ordered that his own drinking cup of silver should be concealed in the sack of the youngest. Joyfully they set out on their return. Simeon and Benjamin were with them. Their animals were laden with grain, and all felt that they had safely escaped the perils that had seemed to surround them. But they had only reached the outskirts of the city when they were overtaken by the governor's steward, who uttered the scathing inquiry, Wherefore have you rewarded evil for good? Is not this it in which my lord drinks? And whereby indeed he divines? You have done evil in so doing. This cup was supposed to possess the power of detecting any poisonous substance placed therein. At that day, cups of this kind were highly valued as a safeguard against murder by poisoning. To the steward's accusation, the travelers answered, Wherefore says my lord these words? God forbid that your servants should do according to this thing. Behold, the money which we found in our sack's mouths we brought again to you out of the land of Canaan, how then should we steal out of your Lord's house silver or gold? With whomsoever you, of your servants it be found, both let him die, and we also will be my Lord's bondmen. Now also let it be according unto your words, said the steward, he with whom it is found shall be my servant, and you shall be blameless. The search began immediately. They speedily took down every man his sack to the ground, and the steward examined each, beginning with Reuben's, and taking them in order, down to that of the youngest. In Benjamin's sack, the cup was found. The brothers rent their garments in token of utter wretchedness, and slowly returned to the city. By their own promise, Benjamin was doomed to a life of slavery. They followed the steward to the palace, and finding the governor there, they prostrated themselves before him. What deed is this that you have done, he said? Do you not know that such a man as I can certainly divine? Joseph designed to draw from them an acknowledgment of their sin. He had never claimed the power of divination, but was willing to have them believe that he could read the secrets of their lives. Judah answered, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. God forbid that I should do so, was the reply. But the man in whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my servant. And as for you, get you up in peace unto your father. In his deep distress, Judah now drew near to the ruler and exclaimed, O my Lord, let your servant, I pray you, speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant for you are even as Pharaoh. In words of touching eloquence, he described his father's grief at the loss of Joseph 
and his reluctance to let Benjamin come with them to Egypt, as he was the only son left of his mother Rachel, whom Jacob so dearly loved. Now therefore, he said, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life, it shall come to pass, when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. And your servants shall bring down the gray hairs of your servant our father with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring him not unto you, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now therefore, I pray you, let your servant abide instead of the lad a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father, and the lad be not with me? Lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father. Joseph was satisfied. He had seen in his brothers the fruits of true repentance. Upon hearing Judah's noble offer, he gave orders that all but these men should withdraw. Then, weeping aloud, he cried, I am Joseph. Does my father yet live? His brothers stood motionless, dumb with fear and amazement. The ruler of Egypt, their brother Joseph, whom they had envied and would have murdered, and finally sold as a slave? All their ill treatment of him passed before them. They remembered how they had despised his dreams and had labored to prevent their fulfillment, yet they had acted their part in fulfilling these dreams. And now that they were completely in his power, he would no doubt avenge the wrong that he had suffered. Seeing their confusion, he said kindly, Come near to me. I pray you. And as they came near, he continued, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that you sold me here, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Feeling that they had already suffered enough for their cruelty toward him, he nobly sought to banish their fears and lessen the bitterness of their self-reproach. For these two years, he continued, has the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years, in the which there shall neither be earing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste you, and go up to my father, and say unto him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not, and you shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near unto me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, and your herds, and all that you have, and there will I nourish you. For yet there are five years of famine lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. And behold, your eyes see in the eyes of my brother Benjamin.
that it is my mouth that speaks to you. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. They humbly confessed their sin and entreated his forgiveness. They had long suffered anxiety and remorse, and now they rejoiced that he was still alive. The news of what had taken place was quickly carried to the king, who, eager to manifest his gratitude to Joseph, confirmed the governor's invitation to his family, saying, The good of all the land of Egypt is yours. The brothers were sent away abundantly supplied with provision and carriages and everything necessary for the removal of all their families and attendants to Egypt. On Benjamin, Joseph bestowed more valuable gifts than upon the others. Then, fearing that disputes would arise among them on the homeward journey, he gave them, as they were about to leave him, the charge, See that you fall not out by the way. The sons of Jacob returned to their father with the joyful tidings. Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. At first, the aged man was overwhelmed. He could not believe what he heard. But when he saw the long train of wagons and loaded animals, and when Benjamin was with him once more, he was convinced, and in the fullness of his joy exclaimed, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Another act of humiliation remained for the ten brothers. They now confessed to their father the deceit and cruelty that for so many years had embittered his life and theirs. Jacob had not suspected them of so base a sin, but he saw that all had been overruled for good, and he forgave and blessed his erring children. The father and his sons, with their families, their flocks and herds, and numerous attendants, were soon on the way to Egypt. With gladness of heart, they pursued their journey, and when they came to Beersheba, the patriarch offered grateful sacrifices and entreated the Lord to grant them an assurance that he would go with them. In a vision of the night, the divine word came to him, Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with you into Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. The assurance, fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of you a great nation, was significant. The promise had been given to Abraham of a posterity numberless as the stars, but as yet the chosen people had increased but slowly. And the land of Canaan now offered no field for the development of such a nation as had been foretold. It was in the possession of powerful heathen tribes that were not to be disposed until the fourth generation. If the descendants of Israel were here to become a numerous people, they must either drive out the inhabitants of the land or disperse themselves among them. The former, according to the divine arrangement, they could not do. And should they mingle with the Canaanites, they would be in danger of being seduced into idolatry. Egypt, however, offered the conditions necessary to the fulfillment of the divine purpose. A section of country well watered and fertile, 
was open to them there, affording every advantage for their speedy increase. And the antipathy they must encounter in Egypt on account of their occupation, for every shepherd was an abomination unto the Egyptians, would enable them to remain a distinct and separate people, and would thus serve to shut them out from the participation in the idolatry of Egypt. Upon reaching Egypt, the company proceeded directly to the land of Goshen. There came Joseph in his chariot of state, attended by a princely retinue. The splendor of his surroundings and the dignity of his position were alike forgotten. One thought alone filled his mind, one longing thrilled his heart. As he beheld the travelers approaching, the love whose yearnings had for so many long years been repressed would no longer be controlled. He sprang from his chariot and hastened forward to bid his father welcome. And he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said unto Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, because you are yet alive.